Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What is up, everybody? My name is Kyle Matovic. I am the host of the In Liberty and Health podcast, where we talk all things liberty, health and wellness, and beyond. My hope is to encourage and spread the message of liberty and physical and mental well-being. I hope you enjoy all the topics we talk about with our guests. We're on all major streaming platforms, so please sit back, relax, and enjoy. <laughs> All right, everybody, this is In Liberty and Health, episode number 53. I got the great Martha Bueno. She was just drinking a margarita and uh, I think throwing food at her kids before she hopped on here. Um, how's the weather down there in Florida right now? It's amazing. I mean, that's why people move to Florida, right? We have this great weather even in the middle of winter. So yeah, I well, love it here. I am about an hour north of Pittsburgh, and it was a beautiful day today at a lovely 42 degrees at the high, and right now it's 34 <laughs> outside. And there is snow and ice on my walkway. In fact, my uh, Doberman Australian Shepherd had uh, slipped climbing into our yard. And my fiance was lucky enough to get a video. It was pretty funny, but, uh, you know, God no. bless you. You're not dealing with any of that. <laughs> no, it's sunny. And I want to say maybe seventies, um, late seventies for, for weather. So yeah, it's really nice here, especially during this time of year. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I've been down to Florida plenty of times in the winter and I never want to leave. And usually when I'm leaving, I'm like, dude, like we have to, <laughs> You know, what, what the hell are we doing? We're going to be going back to like 20 degrees. I was just swimming and drinking a margarita and now I'm back up here freezing and busting my knuckles on cars and stuff like this. This is not cool, man. I don't know why people, though, why everyone doesn't just live here. Here in California and Texas, I mean, the good weather, oh, Arizona, I guess, uh, you know, mm. there's there's a few good states with like great weather and then there's the cold states and uh, no thanks. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, as libertarians everyone kind of talks about moving to new hampshire and i've only kind of have cursory knowledge of what's going on over there i'm like listen if i'm moving somewhere my fiance and i have well established it's florida like our our dogs will be on the beach so will we (laughs) Mm -hmm. i i mean it's it's a hard it's a hard sell new hampshire right it's Mm -hmm. like it's cold it's cold. It snows. It's cold. I mean, obviously it's not a place. I am more of a tropical person. I need a beach at least within driving distance and, um, warm weather. I have never actually lived in a climate that has snow and I don't think I can handle it. Yeah. Well, you know what? You're, you're definitely better off. Well, we've been talking for a few minutes on and off air. Um, give a brief introduction to who you are. Um, the little I know about you, I'm very, very intrigued and, um, I, I like that you are different than your standard libertarian. So um, I'll let you speak for yourself. I don't want to put any words in your mouth. Uh, just give an introduction for our listeners. So hi, everyone. I'm Martha Bueno, and I am running for county commission in Miami-Dade, District 10. Um, and I'm also the mother of four and a lifelong entrepreneur, currently a hemp farmer. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's, that's very, very brief, but um, that's it's perfect. <laughs> um when it comes to hemp farming, um, I kind of come from a more conservative background, right? So up here in 
southwestern Pennsylvania, as you can imagine, there are lots of boomer cons, rednecks, um, people of the sort. Um, when you tell people that you're a hemp farmer, uh, what's the kind of reaction that you get? And being that you're from the South, I feel like you might have kind of the same kin of people down there. Um, well, I think Miami especially isn't, we're not necessarily South in the way that most Americans think of South. Like we are the capital of Latin America. So I think the type of people we have here varies than maybe what, you know, the South experiences. Mm -hmm. um, what do people think when I tell them I'm a hemp farmer? I don't know. It's It's been a little bit of everything. I, I think most people don't really know what hemp, you know, at least down here, what hemp is or the legalities, they'll ask me about the legalities. I don't know so much about myself. I'm, I don't do the farming, obviously. Um, I have people that, that do those things. So um, I don't know what they think, to be honest. Um, hopefully they think it's great. Right, yeah. Well, it, it seems to be something that's become definitely more mainstream over the last few years. There's actually a hemp store within walking distance of my, well, CBD oil, I'm sorry, CBD store, just like a block or two away from my house. And um, it, it seems like a lot of right-wingers and conservatives kind of associate all drugs together. But like I said, it seems like the stigma is kind of dropping. Has that been kind of your experience as well? Yeah, uh, the stigma has been dropping, but not from government stuff. So for example, I've been struggling with um, no banks wanting to bank uh, my business, even though I, you know, like it's it's a legal product, it's a legal business. I have a license from the state of Florida saying that I can grow this. Um, I've done everything legally. So it's it's a weird place to be. Hemp isn't something that you can get high from. It's It's not a scheduled drug. And yet they treat it like um, like it is, and and unlike cannabis, unlike you know a, a plant that that is a scheduled drug, although of course I don't think it should be, um, the profit margins are just miniature, especially since there's no market set up yet in Florida. Um, we've only had this like legal market of hemp for um, just over a year. It, it, they actually just started giving out the licenses in the at the very beginning of the pandemic. So almost two years now. And um, we don't have a lot of infrastructure, but yet the state puts this huge burden on people who, who grow hemp. Um, testing wise, if you test and you're hot, which is anything above 0.03% THC, which is a very minute amount, they force you to burn your crops where there's a system that you can take these crops and, and have it um, you know, corrected in, in chemically in a lab so you can take your your flour that your hemp flour and if it's a little too hot they can combine it in a lab with other things and now it's cbd that is a lot less than than what it was you know tested for um the problem is the state of course if they get involved if you test your your product legally and then you send it in uh, you know you, the state gets a hold of it you might have to destroy your entire crop and there's just not enough margins to do that. I mean, that would be devastating for most businesses. So the state really has put its, its boot down on farmers' necks. And on top of that, then we had COVID and we have nobody to, you know, actually do the work. It is farming. It's a hard job. It's labor. It's labor intensive. And we just don't have enough people to do the work. And we don't have, you know, the more. So I, I'm actually surprised that the that we haven't gone under <laughs> that, um, you know, that, that the market is, is, is holding steady. It's just it, it, government. What can I say? There's right. a reason why I, I fight against the government constantly. And the bank is just one of the many issues, but wow. You know, it, it's, it's so interesting that you have an exact number for it or that the government puts an exact number on it because it's so arbitrary. So what's the difference between what you say it was 0.3%? 0.03%. 0.03%. So um, as a mechanic here in Pennsylvania, we have in certain counties emission laws, and I believe Florida doesn't have any kind of inspection or emissions laws. Not anymore. Um, thank God. But, yeah. <laughs> so 
at 8,501 pounds, you have to do what's called a tailpipe test, which is where you literally stick a probe up a vehicle's tailpipe to do an emissions test for it. And only certain shops have this now at this point. My dad used to have one. He's a shop owner. He got rid of it because it's too much to maintain. And then at 9,000 pounds, so since you cross over from 9,000 to 9,001 pounds, you no longer have to have emissions on this vehicle. And then if you're in certain counties, you don't have emissions. It's so arbitrary. And, Government. you know, what? What are the standards? And if this is supposed to be about emissions and global warming, then, you know, aren't there better places to crack down? Because the idea is to go after hydrocarbons, right? Um, you look at dry cleaners. Dry cleaners are actually the greatest emitter of hydrocarbons. But it's it's a long tangent, essentially, just to say it's, it's funny that they have these arbitrary standards against things that really aren't all that important in the long run. And I understand some people may say climate change is like a big thing in the long run, but when you look at all the models of climate change, they'll end up being wrong. And we're going to take government action, government policy against certain businesses on arbitrary numbers and arbitrary models that only get wronger as the time goes on. So, you know, <laughs> what the heck are we doing? You know, it's government. It, as far as hemp is concerned, I mean, it, hemp grown naturally is around 1% THC level. I mean, they could have just left it at its natural levels. And then, you know, you don't have these unintended consequences that we see in government. So in the case of Florida, you know, hemp laws, because it's it's at that number, then people will either get it tested beforehand and cut it down before it reaches the 0.03%, or then they'll circumvent the, the government and, you know, get it resolved before the government gets a hold of what the numbers were. So, I mean, it's just, it's ridiculous. These people who have never maybe grown something or, or taken care of a car or, you know, just these people that have no notion of the jobs that we do are making rules and laws mm -hmm. for people who do the job that make no sense. And yet we have to follow them or you're, they can take your money, they can take your freedom. So I, you know, government isn't there to be your friend and it's not there to help you out in business. It's actually there to stop competition. You know, it's there to, to wipe out the little guy so that the big guy has nobody else behind them. And it's just, it's frustrating and it's wrong. And we're not talking about those things, at least not the mainstream media. We're talking about, should we cancel Joe Rogan because he said something or he had somebody on and he didn't follow the media? You know, it's just, it's painful to watch because so many businesses need people paying attention to these things. And, um, you know, we're busy again. We, we, we want to know who uh, the Kardashians are with or, you know, what baby they just had. So mm -hmm. uh, it's a little frustrating. Yeah, the whole Joe Rogan deal is so interesting and uninteresting at the same time, because um, there's nothing, in my opinion, inherently that interesting about Joe Rogan himself, except for the fact that he literally talks to anybody and everybody, right? Alex Jones, um, the world's most renowned doctors, some people that I've actually had on this podcast, Sean Baker, Rob Wolf, um, you know, world record holding athletes, you name it, he's talked to them. That's what makes him interesting is he's willing to hear anybody out. But um, he literally lays out the context of which somebody said a word of a bad word, and I understand why it's so emotionally charged, but now it's a big deal that he said that when this has been an ongoing thing for the last 14 years. So, and then someone put a, a super clip of uh, the people on the Young Turks saying the same thing. And honestly, I put out a tweet and I came to their defense. I said, if people are going to come after them, I'll say the same thing. It's a freaking word. Who cares? Now, if they were calling somebody that, I would say, okay, well, that's pretty shitty, but it's just a word. You know, what are we making a big deal over? There's so many real problems. Right. You know? Like, it's hard for me, especially um, dealing with the stuff that I deal with with Cuba. You know, I, I get these messages from people, um, mostly on my WhatsApp, like, hey, is there any way you can send me this medicine? Because, you know, these things are happening. Um, I have people sending me messages like, please send me um, needles for blood collection because you know, when you have, you need to get your blood drawn in Cuba, there's nobody to, the, you can't get a needle. And so um, it's not like here where, you know, you go get your blood drawn and they have all this stuff. You need to bring your, your own equipment basically. So like I'm dealing with people who are dying of, you know, simple curable things here in the U S 
And it just, it drives me crazy that in the US, what we care about is this. I mean, in Cuba, nobody cares about what word you said because they're busy trying to find food for the day. They're busy trying to solve their problem of, you know, how they're going to exist another day longer. And, and so I just, I get really frustrated and I'm not interested. Um, maybe before I was more inclined to get involved in those debates. And now I'm just like, oh God, you know, there's so many bigger fish to fry. And then you, you look at it and you get involved in it and you're like, oh, well, I mean, Joe Rogan shouldn't have said that, but you know, it's entertaining. Yeah, <laughs> It is. It definitely is entertaining, but come on guys, we've got to, there's got to be something better we could talk about or, or be entertained by. Right. And well, I guess I should ask a little bit more about this, but uh, the whole Cuba deal, we as Americans are very, very comfortable, right? And I think COVID did a little bit to push us out of that comfort zone, but in some ways it also kind of pushed us back because we see an obesity go up, especially in children, which I think is, I would almost want to say a crime against humanity because um, these are our future, right? These are the minds, these are the bodies, and these are the shepherds of who will lead this country to whichever direction that we kind of steer them towards. I mean, obviously they're still autonomous and responsible for their own actions, but what we do now will affect them for years and years to come. Um, it, it's, we're so comfortable and we don't have to deal with those kind of struggles. And in a way it's a luxury because we get to be concerned about Joe Rogan, but at the same time, it's like, hey, we're looking at vaccine mandates now where this vaccine in a lot of the data that I've read for people my age who had COVID and recovered, um, it's actually more dangerous for us to get vaccinated than it is for us to, um, you know, than for us to just get COVID, and, you know, recover. But people want to argue about oh, Joe Rogan or who's infighting the Libertarian Party. Um, and then you have to look at somewhere like Cuba that you're very, very well informed on. And I want to kind of hear a little bit more about this. Um, and they're fighting for their freedoms, you know, not just medical fascism that we're dealing with in this country, which is a big deal. I'm not downplaying that, but it's like, you know, these people are fighting a literal tyrannical government where, yeah. you know, they may not, I can't imagine some of the terrors that they have to go to. And, you know, you would be able to elaborate that on that a lot more. So um, why don't you kind of explain the situation in Cuba a little bit, because this is something that I'm just not familiar with. And I think, a lot of people aren't quite aware of other than the fact that they had riots and protests in the last couple of months. Yeah, um, I've noticed that. I've noticed that a lot of people just don't know the situation there. And, and that's uh, even to some degree our own fault, right? We don't, um, we don't put it out there. So that's kind of the mission I'm on is to educate people into what's happening in Cuba, just because Again, not a whole lot of people that speak English are talking about it, and therefore it's easy to, to not be paying attention and not know what's going on there, even though Cuba is literally 90 miles from Key West. You know, it's wow. 90 miles from U.S. territory, and yet they've been under 63 years of communism. Um, you know, people know, obviously, that North Korea is a communist country, and they're like, oh, well, you know, the Iron Curtain or whatever. But we have that so close to our shores. We have a country where... Um, you know, people are slaves in Cuba. And I, I say this word and people are like, oh, don't use that word because, you know, we had slavery in America. I understand that this word is uncomfortable for people. And I'm using it deliberately because there are slaves in Cuba. The entire island is enslaved to this government. Why do I say that? Cubans have zero freedom. They must work for the Cuban government or they cannot work, period. So what do we call that? If the only option for you to work is through a government, through this one entity, you know, they don't make any money unless the government sanctions it. They cannot, okay, um, to put this, you know, in, in easier terms to understand, Cuba is an island. It is surrounded by water. It is surrounded by oceans. And yet in Cuba, it is illegal for the people to fish to feed themselves. Cuba, you are not allowed to own a boat. You're not allowed to go fish for yourself. You're not allowed to have a garden in your home and grow vegetables. Anything you grow that you don't give to the government, if the government finds out, you will go to jail. I mean, and they're not like 20 days in jail. We're talking about five-year sentences. I mean, people in Cuba are legitimate slaves to this tyrannical government. They, are, they don't even own their own bodies. And now there's a law that Cuba is passing where they're finally going to put it down on paper that Children don't belong to the parents, they belong to the state. 
Um, that's the new decreto lay that they're coming up with. And it's just, you know, we hear about it here in America and we just can't, we just can't imagine that that is the situation. Right. Um, and and I, so I talk about it often because these people have been suffering and they, in July 11th, they said, we're done. We are absolutely done. And they all, you know, large portion of the country went out onto the streets. This is the first time in 63 years that this had ever happened. It happened in small scale before several of the other protests, but there had never been a time where everybody all around the island, it was different uh, cities, about 49 different protests broke out around the island. Um, so that was the first time that they kind of just said, we're done with this. And what did the government of Cuba do? They cracked down so much so that there's about 900 people uh, political prisoners in jail right now, um, people serving up to 20 year sentences for the crime of going out and protesting. And I'm not talking about destroying things and burning down buildings the way we did here in America. I mean, going out and just walking and saying, I'm done with this government. Um, that, is, that has gotten them up to 20 years in jail. There are currently 45 children ages 15 to 17 in jail, uh, looking to serve up to 20 years in jail, some of them. So, I mean, the things that I can talk about in Cuba, it's just, it's, it's, it's almost like watching a Holocaust situation. Okay. I, again, not meaning to offend anybody with this. I'm, I'm not trying to draw a parallel or say, but there have been over um, just under 6,000 people murdered by firing squad in Cuba. Um, there's an estimate of about 78,000 people died trying to leave Cuba. This is a crisis of epic proportions and we're not talking about it. We're not talking about it in a way that, that I think we should be talking. We should be talking about the human rights violations. We should be talking about, you know, um, I know as libertarians, we often say, well, the United States just shouldn't get involved. But at what point do we say, you know what life, people's lives, um, are worthy of protecting. We're we're ready to go to war with with Ukraine to you know protect Ukraine from Russia or who knows what we're trying to do there. Um, and they even came out and said, "Hey, you know, you guys are blowing it out of proportion. This isn't happening." And yet in Cuba, we can't even get peacekeeping troops. We cannot get the United States or the UN or anybody to go into Cuba and say, "Hey, we're not going to let the state just murder its people." which they did, especially after this July 11th um, protest. There are videos that you can see online of the state police going into people's homes and just murdering them. So, I mean, I don't understand the, the, what the United States is doing, to be honest. And it's very frustrating and it's very sad to watch it. And so, um, you know, there's not a whole lot as private citizens we can do because there's a law in the United States that bans us from going to Cuba, it actually bans us from getting into our own vessels um, and heading, uh, leaving a U.S. port with the intention of going to Cuba. You don't even have to leave um, the U.S. waters where you can be taken to jail. It's a 10-year sentence and up to $25,000 a day of fines, and they can take your vessel. They can confiscate your vessel. That is in America. That is you know, hey, you're in a free country, but if you attempt to leave to go in the direction of Cuba, um, you know, we'll take your freedoms and we'll take your boat and we'll take your money. And so people don't understand that, um, that it's both sides, both sides can be wrong. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I don't know that I would necessarily myself advocate for military intervention to another country, but, um, I absolutely would think I've heard you talk about you personally sending things over to Cuba. And I think um, there are probably more private citizens and groups that would voluntarily go do that themselves. Um, I, I think that's, that's a very, very reasonable way to go about it. And uh, like I said, I think there's a lot of people that would do that. And it's sad that our government would literally make um, criminals out of people who would seek to help people who are under a totalitarian regime it's it's awful because you know we do talk about the war crimes of yemen as libertarians right where there's 17 million people on the brink of famine but this is right off our shores and if there are people who are willing to go help these people out and house them and say hey i'm going to sponsor these people these people are my responsibility why not let them i i, I have zero issues with that 
Um, I don't want to necessarily change the subject, but this is tangentially related, I think at least. You've been an advocate of open borders, and I, I hate that you can't talk about these kind of things without it getting supercharged. You know, people get so emotional about it, and I get it. I completely get it, but I often think that when people want to debate these things, it's binary extremes, right? People right. go completely one way or the, you know, one way or the other. Um, and, and I think the closed borders people don't necessarily ever consider the positives or the potential benefits. So um, to kind of tag on to something that you were talking about earlier and that I talk a lot, a lot about on this podcast, um, if you look at our labor force participation rate, it's about 62.1%, if I recall correctly. It's somewhere in the neighborhood of, low, of high 61 to like low 62%. And our unemployment rate is about 4 to 6%, if I recall correctly. Kind of running off a little bit of memory here. But okay, so if we have a situation where kind of what I was saying earlier, right, where you have people who are willing to sponsor these people, bring them across and say, hey, these people are willing to work. They're fleeing a totalitarian regime. Um, I'm willing to care for them. Why can these people not come here and work? It, it's, I mean, it's for the benefit I'm going of everybody. Through that. I'm going through that with my family. I've said publicly many times, I have family still in Cuba. Um, and I can't get them out of Cuba because they are not my mother, father, or children. So the only people that you can, um, you know, help get their paperwork um, into the United States would be that direct family uh, relation. So, um, and so because they're aunts and, you know, cousins and whatnot, I can't do anything about it. I just have to watch and help them send them money is the, the most that I can do. Um, that's the thing with the United States. The only people who can legally come here are people who live in um, good countries, uh, I am married to an Australian and he is an immigrant. And I often forget that he's an immigrant because his immigration story is, oh yeah, you know, I just flew over to America and applied for a green card. And the, that's perfectly acceptable. And, you know, nobody has any issues with people who come from rich countries, even if they aren't rich themselves. And then the other people who can come here are people who have family here or marry somebody who's an American and, and be able to come over with um, status that way. There's very few, um, of course, there's always the people that win the lottery, the visa lotteries, and, you know, there's a certain number of people that the United States lets come in, but the vast majority of people who want to come to this country, the line to get in is over 100 years. I mean, you know, if, if you're going to be dead or something by the time you get in, I think there's a problem with the system. Right. And, you know, study after study shows that when people emigrate to a country, first of all, the people who have the chutzpah, let's just put it that way, to get up, take their entire family and move to another country. It's not exactly the, the oh, I don't want to do anything type of people. They're usually hard workers. They're usually looking for better life and they're willing to put the work in. On top of that, um, just the economics makes sense. People who move to a country need things. They don't just come here and work and send the money back. They also pay rent. They also buy food. They go eat. They, you know, they do things. At the beginning, they might not have the resources, but as, as time goes on, they do. They certainly do. Um, and we see that in immigrant communities. You see people um, coming over and, you know, maybe having a rough go of it at the beginning, but then standing on their own feet. And we tend to look down on these people. And that's the problem I have with this conversation. We're not having a real conversation. Most people who come to this country do not qualify for any type of government assistance other than women who are pregnant uh, and their small children. They get uh, WIC, which is Women, Infants, and Children. Um, we also obviously provide schooling for the children that are school age. And, you know, maybe a few different cities have like, a dental program. Like there are some cities that have it, but it's not a national program. So realistically, they, they provide us with a lot of benefits more so than we provide them. You know, a lot of these people will use fake social securities, which is basically a real social security, just not theirs. Um, so they will pay double into the social security system and they'll never get it back. 
So they are propping up our social security in a lot of ways. Um, and then the other argument I hear is, well, the hospitals. And yes, that's true. The hospitals do um, take on a, a burden because they can't turn anybody away, but they also can't turn away Americans or people who are here um, on a visa, for example, from Europe. You know, the, we, we do this as a nation. We decided that we were going to be charitable. You know, we were going to make sure people don't just die. And, and so, yes, that is also a burden. But it's not a burden that only immigrants or, you know, what we consider um, the undesirable immigrants are, the, are causing these problems. It's, it's our system that is, needs maybe a little bit more of an overhaul. And so I'm not saying that the answer is just open up all the borders or do all the things, but we're not having real conversations. We're just trying to cancel each other. We're just trying to say, hey, um, I don't like what you said, so we should never listen to you again. And... Um, I probably have been guilty of that in the past, you know, like I don't, yeah. You know, it's like, oh, well you don't have an, this idea the way I do. Um, and the older I get, the more I realize, you know, we, we really should just be having conversations um, the way Joe Rogan does and he's been canceled. So right. <laughs> there you go. I guess we can't. <laughs> um, so the hospital deal though, it, it's kind of funny because the government had completely fucked that whole deal up, right? So Obamacare pretty much incentivizes people to go straight to the emergency room because it's so freaking expensive. Um, whether you have health care or not, um, I deal this with my fiance because she has a, a gluten allergy and some stomach issues, right? So instead of being able to just go to a doctor and say, hey, do whatever you can, figure out what's going on, you just go straight to the emergency room. And once again, this is because we have this worst of all worlds, healthcare, universal healthcare, whatever you want to call it. And like I said, it encourages people to go straight there. So I can understand people's reservations there. Um, I'm not giving you pushback here, but I want to know your response to this. Um, you kind of touched on it earlier, but um, when people say immigrants come over here and collect welfare, and then they're going to vote against the interests of net taxpayers so basically basically this argument would be um these people are coming here and they're going to grow the government because they're going to vote for more government because um they get benefits from it i don't 100 put stock into that argument but i understand it i'm sure you understand it as well um what's your response to that i'd like to know which immigrant can come in and vote I mean, I am part of this immigrant community. I talk to a lot of people mm -hmm. and the people who come over um, and immigrate here that most of them don't have their paperwork. And when they do, it takes years to get there. And then, you know, it's not like people are talking to the immigrant community and are like finding out what they want. Are both parties, and well, all parties really, um, kind of pander to, to, to immigrants immigrants of all kinds um every Hispanic immigrants are just yeah every four years they're like you know democrats are like vote for us because we'll give you more of these things that you want and then republicans surprisingly now are actually doing a real good job trying to get more hispanic voters um you know desantis here in florida is really killing it and i hear from a lot of people are like oh no i'm going republican because he's such a good candidate i think we tend to forget that you know, if it, we're only looking at Hispanic countries, you're talking about 20 different countries. You're talking about 20 different reasons, at least why people left their country. Mm -hmm. Venezuela, which is in shambles right now, which is another communist country, is not the same thing as somebody coming from Chile, for example. You know, you can't just generalize and say, oh, everybody coming here is coming for the same reasons. And I would venture to say, I know a lot of Venezuelans who came to this country don't have their paperwork because they can't get it and work really hard and don't take anything from the system. I, you know, I don't know a whole lot of Chil uh, Chileans that are here because they don't really have to emigrate. You know, they, they have a country that is functioning. Um, you know, same thing with, there's a lot of Nicaraguans here. Their country is also in, in going through dire times. Um, they don't get paperwork when they come across the border, you know, so who are they saying are coming to, to vote? in these ways. And a lot of these people are actually very libertarian, which is the biggest shock. You know, we've been hearing that they're Democrats and, and I right. want to push back and say they're actually not. 
they're actually people who just want an opportunity. And if we were talking to them instead of just telling them what they want to hear, maybe we would have heard that message from them directly. You know, they're not here to take. They're here to just be able to live. And a lot of the problems they, they are experiencing in their countries, we created, which is the biggest slap in the face to them. It's like, you know, we made the war on drugs, which when we had the war on alcohol here, prohibition, we knew that it caused cartels. We knew that it caused all these issues. People were shooting each other. Uh, you know, we had these Bugsy Siegel and, and Al Capone. People were shooting at each other over who's going to sell the alcohol in which corner, who is going to, we now have that problem with drugs. We created it. And then in Latin America, people want to grow those drugs and want to be able to participate in that because that's how they make money. And so then we, you know, have our, uh, you know, over militarize them too. We spray their fields with things that won't allow it to grow. Like we just cause devastation in, in Central and Latin America. And then we're like, oh, but don't come here. I mean, it's just, it, it's, how, how is it possible that people don't see this and, and recognize that we are a problem too, you know, and I, I, I guess I'm coming across like I'm anti the United States. I'm not, this country has given me absolutely everything going back to, you know, what we're talking about Cuba. I have the ability to compare what my life would have been. Both my parents are Cuban. They had my brother in Cuba and then left. Um, my father was a political prisoner. My mom broke him out of jail, yada, yada. Um, and so my family that stayed behind, that would have been me. And I have a cousin who's about, about 15 years younger than I am. And she has a small child and I can compare my life directly to hers. She has no possibility of making money for herself. None. If we didn't support her, her only option, because she's not part of the Cuban government is basically prostitution. There is nowhere for a woman, a uh, young woman in her 20s, to have a job that pays her enough to be able to support her child. So I am eternally grateful to this country. This country has given me everything. This country has given me the opportunity to work. This, this country has given me the opportunity to, to raise my children. And my children have never known a single day of hunger. And that's not something I can say for my, my cousin's uh, son. You know, so... I am eternally grateful to this country. And that is why I think I push back so hard on this notion that immigrants are bad and that, you know, the United States government knows what it's doing. The United States government basically decided this is the number of people we're going to bring in and that's it. And they won't even look or justify it. There's, it's not like there's a formula and they're like, well, if we let in a hundred thousand people, you know, X, Y, and Z is going to happen. They, there's no, nothing they just came up with a number like we were talking about earlier. They arbitrarily decided mm -hmm. this is this is the magic number. Does it change from time to time? Sure. A new president comes in. He's like, well, I'm going to let a few more people in. But it's not like it's based in any data. It's just whims, I guess. So, um, yeah, this whole immigration talk, I mean, I think it's it's hard to 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 see, you know, this is why I'm passionate about it. It's not because America isn't wonderful and amazing. It's just, we need to at least have people understand that there's no rhyme or reason to, to the laws that we have, at least not the vast majority of them. Right, and, and uh, I'm glad that you and I can talk about this in a way that isn't so heated because um, uh, when people talk about this, and especially on Twitter. So <laughs> there's a reason why I don't engage with people on Twitter over stuff like this, because there is so much I don't know, right? Um, there are plenty of things I do know, but when it comes to this immigration topic, I feel like there's just so many talking points that just get thrown out there. And people say, oh, well, look at all these people coming across the border, you know, the Southern border. And I, I just don't know. I, I don't know a lot about this, and I feel like it's so much more deeper than people give it credit for, and a lot of people don't give it the time and thought and realize, like, hey, this is a pretty nuanced topic. Maybe I should educate myself to the best of my ability on both sides of this argument and see kind of where I fall and maybe even get some anecdotal experience and knowledge of this as well before I just say, well, I'm this or I'm that. And like I said, I feel like people just don't do that. They just want to yell and scream and get that sound bite or just make their point. Sign of the times, maybe. Yeah. I mean, it, nobody's having a conversation these days. So it's, I don't know. Yeah. And I, 
I actually tried to look up a few months ago, like good debates on this. And it's really hard to find because like I said, it just seems like the political right wing for a long time, it seems to be changing just said, oh, well, no immigration, you know, Mexicans are going to come over here. And everyone wants to take Trump out of context and say that he just said they're sending killers and rapists, but that's not exactly what he said. He said they're not sending their best. And in some other times he's, you know, I don't want to say pandered to immigrants and then people will say the left just wants to welcome everybody in and give them half a million dollars per family. But obviously that's wildly unpopular. And I've never heard anyone advocate for that either. I just feel like this subject doesn't get the patient discussion that it needs. And when it does, people don't actually kind of talk about the finer details and respect one another's viewpoint. And like I said, it's early, it's just like constant blood sport. And um, if people would kind of open their minds a little bit about this, well, you know, you always hear people on the right typically say, we don't have anybody to work. Well, we need to eliminate government incentives that make it so people don't want to work or find people that are willing to work. (laughs) You know, you could have one or the other. So, you know, what do you want to do? Either way, we should reduce the amount of government so that way the free market can decide. And once again, people who want to enable people to come over here and sponsor them to work, then they can do that. Or if you want to get up off your ass and not complain about people taking your jobs, you can take the job that was supposedly being stolen from you. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if somebody who has maybe a sixth grade education and doesn't speak the language can take your job, you know. Maybe it wasn't necessarily your job to begin with. Um, but no, like, you know, immigrants come over and they generally will will do the jobs that that other people don't necessarily want to do. Um, you know, there's been studies where um, jobs are advertised for picking crops and fields and nobody wants to fill out those jobs. And when they do, um, they quit very quickly. You know, it's it's unfortunate. It really is. I feel like it's, it's something that we don't talk about. And as libertarians, you know, we will often say like, well, government needs to not be involved, right? We need to let the free market work. But then when it comes to immigration, we're like, no, 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 we need to close down the borders because we have welfare. So it's almost like a dichotomy that we don't realize. Um, If the government can't manage the economy, what makes you think that the government can manage the amounts of immigrants coming in. Mm-hmm. Um, if the government can't do anything really well, what makes us think that the government is doing this really well? And it's not just um, people from Latin America that come over the southern border, and it's not just terrorists. Um, because of our rules during COVID, for example, I know of a lot of people from um, Europe who came over to the US, but they didn't come over on a plane directly. They flew into Mexico and then crossed the border that way. Because if you're coming in through the Southern border, you could come in without having your vaccine. But if you were flying in and you weren't an American citizen, you needed a vaccine. So, I mean, it's almost comical um, how we talk about immigrants from the Southern border. And we all just assume that it's, you know, a certain demographic and it's not you know pl- plenty of people i'm sure travel through canada although the canadian border might be a little more difficult to get through um but you know uh, hey uh, spike cohen's wife you know if we're all talking about libertarians she's canadian she's technically an immigrant to this country and we all love her you know immigrants <laughs> are I don't know a single person that doesn't like Tasha. So I think she's a perfect example. Um, You know, we love immigrants as long as it's not this one group, I feel like. And maybe it's it's the bias that I personally see against people that I am, you know, it's one thing when you were friends with a certain group and you see the hate towards that group. So maybe I just experienced that more. But um, I I, I see a lot of it and I want to believe that Americans aren't... um, they just maybe don't know the reality of immigration. You know, mm-hmm. think about it. For us, what would it take for you to pack up everything you have, leave all behind your family and everything, and go live in another country? If you're comfortable in your country, you're not going to do this. Right. It's not like people are coming here because, you know, their life was wonderful in their own country. And they're like, yeah, I could, I could just move to America for the sake of moving to America. Right. And that also makes our passports valuable. The fact that so many people want to come here, um, that, you know, it raises the profile of our own passports. One day it might not be like that. Um, I lived in Venezuela back 
uh, up until the 90s. And people wanted to emigrate to Venezuela. Colombians at that time were desperate to get into Venezuela. And Venezuela was like, nah, we really don't want you here. Thanks, but no thanks. And now it's the opposite. And Venezuelans are emigrating to Colombia. And Colombia's like, remember that time that we wanted to emigrate and you didn't want us there? Um, and they're not being very friendly back. I think that we need to remember that the United States is 200 years old, you know, roughly. And um, it's been wonderful, but we quickly went down into totalitarian government things with COVID. We don't know that that will never happen here. Um, you know, showing that that we have some compassion towards other countries. And again, I hope that we never see this future. I, I This is not me desiring it. I'm just saying, you know, let's have some compassion. We never know if we're going to need some of that compassion back. Wow. Yeah. I, I would completely understand. And it's not something that I've thought about wholeheartedly in the way that you framed it. So um, it's definitely something that I think everybody could probably think about a little more before they just hop on and say, you know, close the border or close the border and keep America great. You know, I, I like I said, it's such a tar- charged topic and I appreciate us being able to have the conversation without screaming and yelling and, um, or, or just, you know, the usual, <laughs> um, the usuals. right, right. So kind of moving on to the last topic here, you've been awesome with your time and I've really enjoyed this conversation. Um, you've left the libertarian party and, I, and that upset some people, but for me, I'm not a partisan in any which way. Um, whichever way an individual seeks to increase liberty within their own life or in their surrounding communities' lives, um, whatever way they think is best, I fully support that. And if they're successful, I support it all the more. And I think that more people should listen to that example. Um, you're still running, correct? I am absolutely still running. And you're running as an independent? Yeah, an NPA, non-party affiliated, which is, you know, I I wanted to run as a libertarian. Um, I started running as a libertarian and I really wanted to hold that banner up high and say, look, libertarian can win. This is actually a really big seat. Um, County commission for Miami-Dade County has just under three, our county is about 3 million people, just under 3 million people and an annual budget of over $9 billion. We're the seventh largest county in the United States. So um, we currently, our highest elected libertarian is Jeff Hewitt out in California. This seat uh, is very similar to his, but he's in the ninth largest county. So, I mean, this is like a big deal. And I really wanted to run and win as a libertarian. And then now I'm not. And it makes me sad. But at the same time, I've also come to a realization that over the last few weeks, And that is that the Libertarian Party has been spinning its wheels for the last 50 years. And they've done some really good things. They've gotten some good people elected. But as a business owner and as an entrepreneur and as somebody who's, um, you know, needs to look at numbers and an ROI, um, the Libertarian Party has gone from, we're almost like a Silicon Valley startup, right? We have all this money and all this infrastructure and we, you know, have all these departments and we're kind of top down and telling people what to do. That's never going to work. And it finally dawned on me that we're just, you know, desperate to take over the party to then do what? To then, you know, movements happen and they happen locally and they start small and they build momentum. We're not doing that. We haven't done that in 50 years. And I can't be involved in, in, in something doing that for another 50 years. I want to see a real freedom movement. And I think that has to start with us starting, you know, in our own cities, in our own towns, local politics is where it's at. Um, You know, we spend about $2 million every four years to run a candidate. And um, actually Gary Johnson, I think was 12 million. So if you divide that money that the party gets into, you know, the different counties or whatnot, we could do so much more. We could have gotten hundreds of people elected. I don't think the way the Libertarian Party is being run is something that I agree with. And so that was another big factor in my deciding to leave. I, I, can't, I can't do it anymore. I can't pretend that that's going to get us to more freedom. I can't pretend that us arguing over who's a bigger libertarian or you know, is going to get us to anything that is of value. 
And um, yeah, I, I just, I want to see more people doing things locally. Let's stop arguing and take examples of things that have worked elsewhere and then replicate it. Um, there's plenty, I mean, New Hampshire right now is killing it. They got tons of people elected, even though we maybe don't necessarily agree with their, uh, with that chapter or we do, I don't know. I don't know how people feel with, about it. Um, I do hear a lot of, of rumblings on social media, so I don't really know. Um, but they they did a great job. I think they got just under 200 people elected. That's impressive. And we're not hearing that from the Libertarian Party National. We're not hearing about the amazing job that so-and-so might have done, you know, eliminating a tax or, um, you know, Spike was just recently here in Florida fighting an abortion ban that was terrible for, for um, I forget what city he was in. So we don't hear about that. We, what we hear about is this infighting. And like I said, I just, I can't, I can't waste my time on that. There's so much to be done. There's so much freedom that needs to happen here to be wasting our time on who said what, or, you know, who's going to be the next chair or vice chair or whatnot of a party that just, we have no power. Why are we fighting over these spots? Yeah, I agree completely. And, um, I believe you're a fan of Larry Sharp, as am I, and I think every libertarian should be because he is just like one of the best people ever. <laughs> he is. I remember nice. I asked him about what um, he thought about the deal with Delaware and New Hampshire was, and he says, who cares? Who cares? Who cares? Exactly. That's totally Larry, and that's why yeah. we love him, because he doesn't get involved in the drama. Um, I think people want to involve him in drama, and then he's just like, Meh, and moves on. So I do love that about Larry. And, and I think the same thing about Spike. I think they don't generally get involved in drama and that's nice and it's refreshing and they get work done. You know, Larry ran for a governor and he did a fantastic job. Unfortunately, he didn't get the job, but he did a great job. Um, Spike obviously ran as uh, vice president for us as the Libertarian Party. And, you know, I think he did a fantastic job. Obviously didn't get elected, you know, so here we are. I, I think we have some really good people in the party. We're just kind of focused on the wrong ones. Right. Um, I, I've heard you mention Pennsylvania before, and I'm sure you know, but we have over 150 elected libertarians by using the Moulton Maneuver, which is where you basically run candidates and uncontested races. But um, there's a, uh, we have a few mayors here in Pennsylvania, libertarian mayors. So when people say the libertarian party is powerless and I, I know you're aware of this but um you know people outside the party um i think that's changing and if you feel that as a non-party affiliate you can do better that way then obviously i support you as i said earlier but um people here in pennsylvania it's really really cool to see that the libertarian party is growing so you know if we're successful here awesome um if you're more successful your way great well, I didn't not, want to be successful right. this way. Like I said, my goal was to run as a libertarian. I felt right. that I could no longer, you know, with what happened. And for those that aren't aware, um, I won the name of for the convention here in Florida. And then shenanigans ensued. And then people called me some names. And I, you know, long story short, I was like, I'm done. It, but it was a culmination of things. It was a culmination of lots of things. But honestly, I would have loved to have stayed a libertarian and run that way and won that way. It's just, I'm not willing to, to be a part of something. Um, you know, I've, I've said it before. The weekend of that convention is my daughter's 18th birthday. I was not going to leave her at home by herself on her birthday. I was going to bring her with me. I have a 19 year old assistant um, who's I find her gorgeous. And so I'm going to bring these two lovely ladies with me to a convention where people online, people that I've, I've met before are telling me these horrible things. It's like, mm, yeah, I'm not putting young women in this position and I'm not, not inviting women into the party um, like that either. Okay. So this I is, find it, sorry. Yeah. No, no. Okay. Um, this gets to something I really wanted to talk to, and I'm sorry to keep you, um, longer than expected but um maybe we could wrap on this um my purpose with this show is to create better libertarians right in liberty and health i've spoken to you know guys that hold world records in different athletic feats right i want to make libertarians jacked as i say right but you know we're, we're like a party full of losers you, you guys are arguing about who's winning this 
chair seat in this county where six people show up to a meeting. Right. I, I, I'm not downplaying it. That's cool. If that's what you want to do, fantastic. I support you. But like, what have you done with your life? And I'm not trying to brag, but I'm a personal trainer. I'm a mechanic. I'm getting married this year, actually down in your neck of the woods. Um, we could talk about that a little bit more off air, but um, you know, I play guitar in a band. Um, I work out consistently. I research all this stuff about diet and nutrition to share it with people. But I want to make libertarians great people because we can't have a great movement if we don't have great people leading the movement. So, you know, and I'm sure you know just as well as I do, the people saying that stuff online, they would never come up to you or your daughter or your assistant and say things like that in person. And if you're not going to conduct yourself like that online and offline, Sorry, I, I don't like that. So we should be a group of stand-up people with great leaders and, you know, who are great leaders of their community that are going to lead this movement and make other people want to get involved in this movement as well. And if we're just going to be shit posters online, which, okay, okay, whatever, you may get some laughs. I don't see that growing the movement to lead us to freedom, you know, just throwing up memes and shouting taxation is theft. There's nothing actionable there. And that's not going to increase liberty in our lifetime. But I've once again, I've heard you say that and I, it, it resonates with me because I really, really want to put that out there to, you know, encourage people like, Hey, do something, be better, be more. That's how we grow this movement. We don't talk enough about David Andrew Gay. Um, he's dadman. And I think he is the embodiment of the libertarian I would like to see more of, you know, and it's, I, I mean, if he listens to this, sorry, David, I don't mean to, I'm not saying anything bad, but I'm saying like the average guy, right? He is the example of a father, a hardworking man, somebody who um, tries to do better for other people. And he does this meme page and then he's raised, I think close to $2 million or over $2 million now to, to, for charitable causes, uh, given a whole bunch of vans to people. I mean, that's to me, the ideal libertarian. He, he does stuff for other people, such a good person, funny on top of it. I mean, um, that's, that's what we should be striving for. We should be striving for that type of person. I hope one day to be able to be um, half the person that David is. And um, I think that's really, really what I'd love to see more, you know, is, is people taking that time that it takes to write something on Twitter and tell somebody that they're not a libertarian enough or horrible. You know, I, I see now that, that we're dragging uh, Lauren Daughtry through the mud on, on Twitter. And this is a human being who's a lovely person. I don't know what the drama is about, so I'm not going to weigh in on it, but I mean, what an amazing, incredible human being that she is. Um, I know her personally, and I think that she is all these good things. And I hate that this is what our movement is doing. We're just dragging people down, people who dedicate their time to this movement, because nobody makes any real money here. I mean, maybe somebody gets paid to go to a convention every now and then, but nobody makes real money here. It's not like we're the Republican Party that we have, you know, real money to throw around. Like we're, <laughs> you know, maybe somebody made two grand or something off of it's not a big deal. So you really have these dedicated people, people, you know, um, I, and when I travel somewhere, I pay for all of my way, you know, out of my own funds, money that I take from my family to pay for things. And we're, we're knocking these people down because they're not perfect. I mean, I don't get us. I don't get this movement. I don't get what we're trying to do. I think that it's just, it's ridiculous in any other setting. You talk about somebody that like volunteers their time and their money and their energy. And you're like, they're a horrible person because they said something. People look at you like, the fuck? <laughs> you know, like what is going on there? Right. And yet here we are. Like, I hear people talking poorly about Larry Sharp or, you know, and I'm like, how? This man literally spends all day, you know, doing stuff for liberty. And we, we can say something poorly about him. Lauren was the secretary of the LP for a while and nobody ever heard of her because she did her job. She was really good at it. And she did so quietly without drama. And now it's like, oh, this person is evil because I don't know what. And I'm like, oh my God, please, please. Can we stop? Please. <laughs> right. I, I sincerely hope that we kind of find our footing and realize that it's not always to our advantage to make an enemy or an example out of people. 
Um, and it is upsetting to see. And I think we all participated in it to some degree. I try my best not to, and I think I'm definitely better than some other people, but you know, we all get caught up in the shit storm on Twitter. Um, Martha, there is one, you know, one drama that I actually forgot to mention that oh. is kind of relevant to the Libertarian Party, which mm-hmm. is this Bitcoin conference. Um, I don't know how, how much people have heard about it, but the Bitcoin conference that happens here in Miami in the capital of the Cuban diaspora invited a Cuban communist onto the stage. And um, that's actually starting to be a big thing amongst the Cuban community. So I just wanted to kind of throw that out there just because I know a lot of um, libertarians are Bitcoiners. And I know that a lot of people have come out and asked me, like, I don't get what the drama is. So all of that that I said about what happened in Cuba at the beginning of this episode, um, all of that is happening. And this guy that they invited to stage is part of the Cuban government who created an app or a website that is actually going to collect Bitcoin that people send in remittances and give the people of Cuba this worthless coin called MLC on a like Visa gift card. So the Cuban government is using this platform to hoard Bitcoin. Um, there's only 21 million in the world. So of course they want to grab as much of it as they can. And of course they want to do it off of the back of people who send remittances. So I know that the Bitcoin conference people didn't know really um, what you know this guy is about, but now they do. And so I hope that as libertarians, we can see that cancel culture is wrong, but also inviting an actual commie, commie to a stage, uh, again, in the capital of the Cuban diaspora is almost cruel. It's almost a slap in the face, if not a slap in the face. And um, I, you know, I would like to just put it out there that I'm not in favor of cancel culture. This is not cancel culture. This is, there are 45 kids in jail in Cuba. We should not be giving a platform to the Cuban government. So because we are so involved in Bitcoin and crypto, I figured this was the place to let y'all know what's going on because it is on my Twitter and it is picking up some steam. I was interviewed by a pretty big Cuban um, news organization this morning, and it's starting to like make real waves. And um, uh, I know that people just don't understand where we're coming from. Cubans, again, we haven't been really good at getting our voice out there and having people understand what life is like in Cuba. Yeah, I definitely think it's uh, probably for the best that you wouldn't platform someone like that who's looking to essentially launder money from Americans to hoard in Cuba. That's completely wrong. And I would hope that more libertarians would speak up against that. And I'm not like a big Bitcoin guy, but, you know, I think most libertarians are. And um, that's just not something that I think anybody should tolerate because that's once again cruel and it is a slap in the face and it is morally wrong. Yeah, I mean, it just happened. So we'll see. Uh, My hope is that the Bitcoin conference decides to rescind his invitation. Mm -hmm. I think that would probably be for the best. I have heard from the Cuban community. It's happening. The Bitcoin conference is happening this time in Miami Beach. And I've I've heard some rumors of um, people saying that they're going to basically block the beach so nobody can get in or out. And, you know, um, it's it's not looking good. So I hope that they would just, you know, remove the platform that he's going to be on. But if not, we do have um, a lot of libertarians are actually going to be gracing that stage. Uh, Joe Jorgensen will be there and JP Sears and a whole bunch of, you know, very prominent libertarians. So I, ho- I do hope that if if the convention itself doesn't decide to rescind it, that we stick together and we say this isn't OK. Right. And some people may call it cancel culture, but I think that's just being responsible and morally good libertarians you know that's that's all there is to in my opinion average cubans can't come to miami um and 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 just travel here on a tourist visa i mean it's it's obvious that that somebody that can come like that has some sort of connection to the government if not is government this person is and so i mean just on the fact that well don't we advocate for you know everybody being able to to have at least the same opportunities well regular cubans can't just come here so There's a little bit of everything, but the bottom line is, let's not have a commie on the stage, please, please, please. Yeah. Is it that too much to ask? I mean, with so many amazing people to talk to in Bitcoin, why a commie? Yeah, of all people, seriously. Of all people, yeah. (laughs) Um, Oh, boy. (laughs) So I got two questions I want to ask you, and then we will rock and roll on out of here. Martha, what does liberty look like to you? Ooh, uh, liberty looks like living my life the way I see fit. 
and everybody else having the same opportunity to do that. Cool. Well, what does health look like to you? Ooh, that's a good question. That's a really good question that I don't think I've ever really pondered. Health means being able to do the things you want to do with your body. Um, whether it's, you know, eating the foods you want or taking the medicine you want or taking the drugs you want. I feel like even that's encompassing in it and government should stay the heck out of that. I think that's a perfectly reasonable answer. All right, everybody. Um, thank you so much for listening. Martha, this was absolutely fantastic. I'm very excited to share this with everybody. And I think people will get a lot out of it. I think people will really enjoy it. I know I certainly did. And um, I would love to have you back on anytime you would come on. So um, any last uh, comments, plugs? Um, well, if somebody doesn't follow me, please do. I'm on uh, all social media as at Bueno for Miami. And um, please help me share my content because I am running for commissioner in a seat where the average person raises close to a million dollars and I'm not doing that. I want to win um, based on the ideas rather than on how many votes I can buy. So please help me uh, spread the message of liberty here in Miami and uh, follow me on social media. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. And as I said, I really enjoyed this conversation. I think everybody else will too. So until next time, everybody, take care. A new year, time for new growth. Grow your education and skills with Herzing University. Our online behavioral health programs fit your schedule and time. From an eight-month diploma program in health and human services to a 36-month bachelor's in psychology. Grow your behavioral health career with us wherever you are in your education. Your future starts now at Herzing University. Visit us online at herzing.edu or text HEALTH to 85109. Online at herzing.edu or text HEALTH to 85109. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details.